These are fun, off-the-cuff discussions on movies and streaming series, both new and old. Together, we'll attempt to bridge the gap between Hollywood Industry Insider and the casual viewer. This is Alec. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to the Cinema A to B Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Cinema A to B, a podcast about, well, where Ben and I talk about movies. I mean, that's pretty much it. Or on TV shows, occasionally. So today, we're going to be talking about the 2021 film, Dune. So, Ben, I know you and I have kind of talked around the edges of this movie, trying to save this for this show. So, what are your thoughts? My thought is that there's probably only a handful of directors that were capable of bringing this effectively remake back to life and that Denis Villeneuve is probably, probably the best guy for the job. I mean, it's a very short list. Um, I'd probably put Christopher Nolan on that if he was interested, but yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of been the challenging book to bring to life. It's just so, it's so dense and there's, the problem is with the source material is that you've just got the inner thoughts of characters that just go on for pages and pages and pages, which is fantastic in a novel. But when you're trying to adapt that for the screen, it just becomes laborious. And so I think that's the big strength of this effectively part one, right? It's Dune part one. I think that's the big strength of the, the script and part one is they seem to have been able to ride that line pretty well on giving you kind of a taste of what that was in the book form, but it's, it's definitely firmly its own thing in as a film. Yeah, no, I, I loved this movie when it came out in 21. It was one of my top two or three I don't remember if it was my favorite thing that came out in 21 or not. I'd have to go back and look, but it was definitely up there. I mean, I will agree. It was fantastic. You know, Lynch's 84 Dune, you know, I mean, he, even he says he hates it because he didn't have final cut approval. So he, you can't really judge it as his film because, well, you know, it got kind of taken away from him. So I, I, I say that, but this, I think, I think you nailed it where it did it really right. Cause there's a lot of political intrigue that gets bogged down and a lot of exposition and stuff in the book. And here I think Denis kind of still had that political intrigue. Obviously it's still there, but didn't let that overtake the film kind of kept it moving, kept the interest and kept it violent and actiony, but yet not changing it drastically from the political intrigue book that it is into this is kind of like, you know, action drama kind of a thing. So I think he really hit that line of kind of keeping the, the the visual aspects of it to be interesting as well as kind of keeping some of the more cerebral thoughts and, you know, kind of underpinnings and stuff going throughout the, the, the book in the movie. So I know it's not exactly the book. It's got some differences, but I think those are good choices to make. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and I, just an aside, I, there are aspects I absolutely adore about the 84 mm-hmm. version of Dune. I do not hate that movie. No. I, I grew up with that version of Dune. There's things about it that I frankly love. There, there's a, there's <laughs> some, some visual aesthetic of the 84 Dune that I think is, is really cool. And largely the casting in that movie was 
really pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I won't stay parked on discussing that movie. We maybe we can revisit that um down line, but Denis got this movie, I'm convinced, because of his ability to command the aesthetic. And effectively, something like Blade Runner 2049 and then Arrival yeah. were basically served as dress rehearsals for him to be able to pitch himself um, yeah. well, to, I, what is it, Warner Brothers? Yeah, Warner Brothers. Yeah, for him to be able to pitch himself to Warner Brothers is to be the one to helm this. Because he did Arrival in like 2016. Mm-hmm. He did what 2049 and 2017, and then he took another four years. Well, I guess, I mean, it depends on if he was still working on it when they pushed the release date because it was supposed to release in December of 2020. But still, I mean, four years to kind of work out this masterpiece of yeah. trying to wrangle Dune and put it on screen. Yeah, and it's got those, it, it's a throwback uh, with the visual effects because it it does what I love, which is it, he accomplishes as much as possible in camera with practical effects and mm. scale models, some of the best model work you've probably seen to date because it doesn't look like models, but it is. And then combines that with, with high end compositing and then just probably a lot less CGI than people would think is in this movie. And it all feels unified and Arrakis feels as big as it, as it ever has. And, and dangerous. Yeah. And Oh yeah. Yeah. Very dangerous. And now I love to bang on Oscar Isaac because I think he's like the most overcast guy in Hollywood and I'm just (laughs) never a huge fan. He's good in this. And and I need to give him, I need to give him his due because he plays unaware kind of naivety to the character that I think it needed that you don't get in the original. Mm -hmm. Cause Duke Leto in the original is like, it's just much more commanding and you almost would be like, wait, that, that version of Duke Leto would never walk into a trap. Right. Mm. But this version of the Duke, it feels right that he basically is hoodwinked a little bit more honor bound, a little bit more kind of, this is what we do to serve. Yeah. Kind of of cares. Yeah. Blind honor in a, in a lot of ways. And he brings that. And so I need to give, props to an actor that I tend to bang on. And it's not, it's not because I think Oscar Isaac's a bad actor. I I don't, I just think he gets stuffed into everything. (laughs) Star Wars. He's the shortest version of apocalypse ever put on screen in the (laughs) X-Men, which I just was like, wait, what? And I forgot about that. Yeah. He's, he's in a lot of stuff. And then the rest of the cast is, uh, is just just spot on. Mm Mm-hmm. We can single them out. I mean, I think, I think Rebecca Ferguson showed more to her repertoire as an act- actress in this mm-hmm. than what she's been given. Because I'll be honest, I mean, most of the stuff I've just seen her in was was like the Mission Impossible movies, which she's been in the last several. Yeah, and she was in Reminisce with and The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman. For those oh, was two. she in Showman? Yeah, okay. she was the she was that. the singer that he kind of you know. Uh, when he wanted to go legit. No, I, so. I really like watching her. She has, uh, obviously she's gorgeous and striking, but she has very, very um, uncanny screen presence. Mm-hmm. 
she's able to con- kind of control her body and control her face to really kind of push across the emotion or the lack of emotion in some cases, especially in this film. So, yeah. And she, and she, uh, that's a very central character. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. lady Jessica's super central. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't just willy nilly cast that role. I was going to say like, when I saw that Jason Momoa was going to be Duncan Idaho, I was not happy right away. Cause kind of, how you feel about Oscar Isaac is how I feel about Jason Momoa. I'm just like, Oh my goodness. They're just going to throw him in here as well, whatever. But he brought it like Mm -hmm. he really brought it. And all those fight scenes are pretty much him fighting. Like he, that's legit. Like he went to training. They had the fight choreographer, uh, Juan or something like that. Uh, he just worked with him and he worked like 15 other stunt doubles to kind of get that fight scene. And you know, the, the fight scenes that he's in, done really well. I mean, it it just worked. It just absolutely worked. Yeah. And then obviously old Timothy, (laughs) I was, I was excited when he got cast to do this because I had, I had bought, I'd basically drank the Timothy Chalamet Kool-Aid from his 2019 Netflix movie, the King. Oh, mm -hmm. and that was the film that I saw him in that I went, Oh yeah. Yeah. This, there's a speech he gives, um, in the King. Yeah. That's some of the finest acting that I saw from, you know, gosh, you know, four years ago of anything I watched and it was, it was him. And so when he got, he, when he got the the call to play Paul, I was like, yep. Going to knock it out of the park. And what does he, he do? Looks- Knocks it out of the park. And he's frankly, he's more book accurate because Paul was a lot younger in the books than mm-hmm. what we so got 15. in the 84 Dune. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he looks the part a lot better. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Like he definitely held his own. That was what I thought was thinking about too, was the King, especially kind of near the end, like the latter third of the movie, when he's starting to kind of deal with some stuff that I was like, this feels like you're the king. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just kind of playing that same kind of role, but it works. I mean, it still works. Like it, it is that character. It's that kind of that thrust of having to be responsible, that thrust of having to lead kind of a situation. And it just works. And just, it, he plays it off really well. Like the, the entire casting is fantastic. And I think it was reading. I remember when this came out was almost everybody is Denise first choice. Like oh. that's who he wanted to play. I think the only people who weren't were the doctor, uh, uh, oh, okay. doctor, you, and I forget why. And then it was also, uh, Shawnee, uh, Zendaya. So I think she was picked like they didn't, he didn't have anyone exact, but it was the, the screen chemistry between the two of them. And that's what got oh. her the role. So okay. whatever, everyone else was pretty much like, he was like, this is my person. This is what I want. That doesn't always happen. I, in fact, if you devote yourself to looking that very topic up, mm. basically directors' choices for major roles in big movies, you'll find that rarely do even big directors get their first choice. Mm. It just scheduling conflicts, and then the fact that everybody's going after the same person for the, for roles, you know, they're up for three or four roles and they've got to, they're going to pick one. So yeah, you got to be prepared. The problem is a lot of this stuff's written with specific people in mind, which is kind of a tricky thing to do. They always taught us in film school to not do that. 
Yeah. Of course, you're in film school. It's a student film, but you'd still get <laughs> caught. Like if you knew an area actor that you wanted to hire or a friend that, you know, is particularly talented that you want to put in it, you'd find yourself writing, you know, writing those roles specifically for those people. And then what happens? Somebody's not available. Somebody gets sick. And then you're like, whoa. And no, you got to deal can't. with their other friend who's an actor who's just terrible. And then he's in your, your short film and you don't even finish it. Well, I love that. I just <laughs> like falsely portrayed myself as a writer, <laughs> which I'm most definitely not, uh, not a screenwriter anyway. Um, I can write copy, but it's gotta be 30 seconds or less. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously we are huge fans on the show of Mr. Stellan Skarsgård. Oh my goodness. And of course he brings it just as always. It's yeah. Just and had, to have been, had to have been Denise's uh, first choice. Oh yeah. He was. And then, but the, but the makeup and prosthetics are just something else. Yeah. Yeah. I, and not just for him, but for the whole thing, the, the costume design, the set design, mm-hmm. it's so brutal. So what I was reading with for Skarsgård, they actually built suits for him, like actual, like created just suits that he could get in and spend four to six hours of then doing makeup to blend in everything. But those are, yeah, those are just huge suits that they use. So like, again, going back to some of those, a lot of those practical effects and not just like, Hey, let's just, you know, put some underneath the shirt. And it's like, Nope, that's kind of this huge fat suit that he's in. Then he has to kind of walk around it and do. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a loaded cast because and it's not just major roles. I mean you you know you've got Stellan obviously you've got Javier Bardem as as yeah, Stilgar, which is, always makes which, me happy when well, I when I see. Yeah, it was really a pleasant surprise because I didn't mm. I purposely didn't study up and read up a bunch on this movie. I didn't want to spoil a bunch of stuff for myself. So, but the guy I want to talk about who I feel like steals the the movie for me is this Babs Olusunamokun who plays Jameis. Oh, okay. It, and it's, it's his performance is really good. Mm-hmm. He's got a really nice timber in his delivery, but the, the way that they decided to execute those dream, dream state sequences with that character and Paul those are my favorite moments in the entire film. Mm-hmm. This whole, you know, this whole idea that he almost lived like half a lifetime with him out in the desert in, in dream form and learned from him is, is that's like my favorite stuff. The whole speech he gives about life, um, being a, you know, a process, not basically it's, it's about the journey. It's not, mm-hmm. It's not about the end. That was, it's like, that was my favorite time in the whole, the whole movie. Well, and then juxtapose that with how he is in the, the, the end. In the real world. Well. Exactly. And just kind of, it's, it's almost like two different characters. Like it is. Two different, well, obviously, yeah. I mean, but like, it's this, how he plays it and the raw emotion and energy he gives in that last couple, that last performance just struck me of just how powerful and just how he just was there and was just giving it his all. I know he had to walk off, off that 
that's uh, set just absolutely exhausted from a day of shooting. Just, he was seemed like given his all for every, every shot. It was just, it was an interesting creative choice. The way they did those, those kind of waking dreams that, that Paul has. And that's something this movie just does leaps and bounds better than the earlier 84 version. And you do, you have this sense of loss of like what could have been between Paul and Jameis. That stuff is kind of what separates this movie from just your run-of-the-mill sci-fi action piece. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about just expectations for for part two. I'm tr- again, I'm trying not to do the spoiler elite thing mm. and ruin things for myself, but Villeneuve has, has stated that it is basically a war film. Mm. And that's all... <laughs> all i need to read i'm just <laughs> super I'm there. excited for it yeah if like, it threw people it threw some people off that it was only part one like the way it ends mm-hmm. if you didn't go it, in and now they give it to you in the uh opening credit that it's a part one but i think people forgot and then they it, the way it ends it's like wait you're gonna leave me hanging yeah it's like well yeah this is what this is on cinema a to b today we're really talking about one half of a movie. Of a movie, yeah, effectively. Yeah. The Dune Part One is not a complete movie. It's really good, but it's it is literally half of a basically a six hour movie <laughs> or something approaching it. I don't know yeah. what the runtime's gonna be. I guess this this one was definitely long. It felt it felt paced really well. It like there isn't a whole lot of fat on it that you can really cut. There was a couple times where I was just like, oh, you know, not I didn't feel like it was going long, but I was like, Dude, okay, this not super necessary. We could have probably cut this, but his shot selection and some of the views and the vistas he was getting from where they were shooting was just worth it as well. Just to kind of like you were talking about, give that grandness to Arrakis, give that kind of just how really large and how vast this desert planet actually is. And the runtime I'm looking, the runtime for Dune part one wasn't bad. It was two hours and 35 minutes. It was not this laborious thing. No, now I know. Now, part two, probably. Uh, I don't think we've got a finalized run runtime on part two. No, we don't. I mean, that thing's still in post production. So, I would uh, I would be venturing a guess that it's nearer to three hours. Oh yeah, and that it will be uh, one of the top three movies of twenty twenty three. Because the only other movies that I'm really anticipating are obviously Oppenheimer. And then uh, Killers of the Flower Moon mm-hmm. with Scorsese and uh, DiCaprio, which I think that's your, I'm going to call it now. That's your best picture. Killers of the Flower Moon is going to win best picture mm-hmm. in the 2024 Oscars for stuff released this year. That mean uh, DiCaprio is going to get a second Oscar? As not necessarily. Well for- <laughs> not necessarily. I think uh, I think that the Dark Horse for me is is... Cillian Murphy, I think, still has a a good chance at winning Best Actor for Oppenheimer, but I don't he think deserves it. I don't think Oppenheimer is going to win Best Picture, and I think Oscar voters are going to have a decision to make between Best Director of picking Nolan and giving him his first Best Director Oscar, or or going ahead and give it to Scorsese. So, yeah. I, but I'm calling it now. I think, I think flowers moon killers of the flower moon is, is your best picture winner. Cause I'm, I'm familiar with some of that history 
dark side of American history. But anyway, back to uh, to Dune Part Two. I think this will be, and this is one of my most anticipated movies of of twenty three. Which is really the only reason we're talking about Part One right now is because we're both geeked out about <laughs> Part Part Two. About Part yeah. Two, yeah, it's finally coming. So going back to part one, I do have to bring up the, I really loved how they opened the film. So, cause before any of like, like Warner brothers logo, any of like the different studios logo, you just have that, um, uh, what the Ben, Bene Gesserit kind of speech going on or whatever, like the unintelligible speech that's kind of happening. And it just opens with that line was like dreams are messages from the deep. And just really enjoyed that. I really loved that just because it kind of almost felt like what we are about to see is also like kind of a dream or like, this is the message, like this kind of this happened or this, you know, is going to happen kind of a thing. So it was, it was really, really nice, but I just got to say this entire movie was just really thought out, really planned. I mean, the costume design, the set decoration you were talking about was just absolutely amazing. I mean, I, I can just, even some of like, dialogue or how they handle the dialogue. Like I can just think of how visceral, um, uh, secundus is the, where the, the Sardaukar, uh, assassins are training and stuff like that. Like just that whole scene of just the guy kind of, you know, putting them out to war and you know, yelling at them as they're kind of, you know, walking around the different priests or whatever. And just, Oh, like that scene how is it, crazy. Yes. Like it's, that scene like, is nuts. Yeah. But how visceral all of these different planets are like when they did Gaidi prime for the uh, Harkonnens like, and Caledon for the Atreides and just how different and how ver like it wasn't kind of the same looking kind of planet or wasn't very similar that you kind of get in a lot of sci-fi things where kind of everything blends into it. Just like very different of, you know, exactly where you're at. Yeah. And that's the, the speaking of the Sardaukar, that was something that the 84 movie just kind of glossed over was mm -hmm. the brutality of that planet and that people group basically. And yeah, that scene, I remember leaving the theater. The first thing I did was went to YouTube and pulled up. <laughs> Somebody had snuck out the, the whole sequence when they go to the Sardaukar planet and you see them lined up and yeah, they're, they're freaking crucifying. So if you Google it, those guys, they're crucifying on those, those walls. And then their, their, their blood is mixing with water and then it's being poured on Sardaukar troops. Those are failed recruits. Mm -hmm. That's what they do when you don't make the cut. Yep. Brutal. And yeah. then they did that whole weird thing with the guy that's doing the chant where his like, he's got that suit on and you could tell his neck is elongated. So it looks yep. really, it's really off putting. There, there are visual cues in this movie that do that, that are like, wait, that doesn't, that looks human, but that's not human. Yeah. And they try to, he tries to pepper that in. Well, and going back to the fight choreography, like the coordinator was, was talking, he was how he tried to give each group their own fighting style. Like the Atreides uh, had like a Filipino fi fighting style with a lot of short swords. Whereas the Harkonnens had like, like something based off of ancient Mongolia with like a lot of hack and slash and just like big power movements where Sardaukar had kind of this balance between like samurai and then also this kind of, uh, some like, uh, ancient kind of cult based, like, 
like where there's blood sacrifice and like kind of that same what we're kind of getting from this planet and kind of melding that together. Because they do have that kind of fluid movement of, you know, what we kind of imagine the samurai doing and such. But yet then you also get the viciousness of this uh, cult apparently. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah. I love those details. Yeah. The only thing that kind of threw me and I don't, and it's been a while since I read the book, so I could completely wrong, but, and this is not a spoiler, uh, but the, because I always remember the Trades house kind of being based off of like Greece. So why do we have a uh, Scottish bagpipe? being walked across when the, the Herald shows up. Because like, bagpipes are cool, <laughs> man. But well, actually, the, it actually works out, the like, bagpipe, what? The origin The origin of the bagpipe, though, is not Scotland, right? The the bagpipe, I mean, do, isn't it? Isn't it like Arabia or Persia or something like that? Isn't it well, the actual... Some, some form of it. I don't think, yeah. like, in the, in the way that it was portrayed was definitely much more of the Scottish. But, like, yeah, oh, the original yeah. bag, the original bagpipe was not uh, not from there. So, but I think it's definitely changed. I think subconsciously it works because the Atreides' home planet, it looks <laughs> like Scotland. Like, yeah. it does. The, the rock islands rising up mm-hmm. out of the water. It looks like Ireland or Scotland. And so... It was that kind Norway, of but it was, yeah, yeah but it, but same kind of but yeah, I could see that, yeah. why that would kind of throw you. Like, well, I, I, I mean, just for a moment, but then they did do the payoff because obviously you have this little bagpipe just for this one scene of like the Emperor's Herald coming, but then the battle scene, they bring it back. Yeah. They bring that like, obviously not the bagpiper, but like in the score is bagpipes yep. and it just works. I mean, like the, the payoff of just Hans that Zimmer. happening. Oh my God. Like we, now we got to talk about Hans Zinner because he kills it first off he turned down tenant for this movie yeah that's right he loved yeah he loved dune so much and he was like no i gotta do this like i can't work with you nolan i have to do this movie and he just killed it because he really went off not off the deep end it's not the right right phrasing but he definitely just kind of really dug into it and didn't go to his strengths that what he's done before really tried something new and different with this score and a lot of it is it's hard sometimes to tell what's ambient noise or what's guttural tones and what's the score, you know, what, what, you know, what is the sounds that we're hearing are the soundtrack and what's just the sounds of the desert or of the fighting or of space or those kind of things. Yeah. So, yeah, this is, we're, uh, we're spoiled. These are, these are going to be, I just think part two is going to blow everything out of the water. I, mm. I don't think when, when we're done with this, I'd, I think it'll obviously need to be watched as one continuous piece, but all the good stuff's going to happen in part two. I don't know. There's a lot of good stuff that happens in this. They did such a great job. So, I mean, if you would have told me that the guy who did Sicario was going to go on and do some of my favorite films of the, the past decade, I would not have. I mean, Sicario is great. I loved it, but I remember going into Arrival thinking this thing is going to be an absolute disaster and mess and it's not it is awesome and then obviously blade runner 2049 he nailed it too for something that has such a cult following to have something that i walked out of and and still enjoyed and still thought was yeah i just absolutely great i hope that part two makes a lot of money Mm -hmm. because unfortunately as great a director as he is he doesn't really have the box office to back it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sicario did well. I think Arrival did well because the budget wasn't massive. 
But Blade Runner 2049, it obviously bombed. It's a tremendous movie. It's one of the best sequels I've ever seen to a movie that none of us asked for a sequel to something as great as Blade Runner. But I guess it was sort of fitting that it suffered the same fate as Blade Runner, which was almost <laughs> nobody watched it. But those of us that did adore it. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope I hope Dune Part 2, you know, I hope everybody's gone in for it. And I hope it has a good marketing campaign. I think that's going to be the big one. And if they're smart, then in September or October, they'll go ahead and re-release Part 1 back into theaters. Oh, and then like they have to, they have to, they yeah. have to like, they got to pull the same thing as the lead up to uh, avatar, mm-hmm. the way of water when they re-released avatar back into theaters. And, you know, I didn't go to see it back in the theater the second time, but, but I knew some folks that did. So they're going to have to do that with, with this, with part one, the part one needs to go back into theaters for a couple weeks, and- give people an opportunity to experience it on the big screen. Like it's supposed to be get us all primed and ready for, uh, for the November drop on, uh, part two. I'm excited. It's going to be great. It is. It's going to be great. Well, any closing thoughts before we wrap this sucker up? I would say, take the time to watch it. If, if you like the book Dune and haven't seen this, it's who's that? (laughs) I know that's who are, who are these people? (laughs) I don't know. It's a, it's a great sci-fi film. It's definitely science fiction. It's not space fantasy like Star Wars. It, it's definitely in that sci-fi kind of realm. So going with that, but it's shot really well. Amazing attention to detail. Great acting. Just, I, I really enjoyed it. And I just rewatched it again and was just as happy with it as I was previously. Yeah, it, it told, it's held up. I've seen it several times since, the, uh, since watching it in IMAX, I think I saw in IMAX. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. The only last thing, okay, we're going to go a little, little tangent because I just remember, is the sound design or whatever, at least on like the streaming services that it's on, not great, or at least how, how I was watching it. Like it is not leveled very well at all. Hmm. Yeah, like some of the some of the dialogue is way too soft, and then it gets way too loud for some of the, the action sequences. So, Chris Nolan, like, is that you? <laughs> that was kind of one of my thoughts. He had Christopher like, Nolan mix mix uh, <laughs> Dune, unintelligible uh, dialogue, loud yeah. loud background. Yeah, yeah. So, but well, anyways, that's my last thought. Still yeah. go see it, or still see it. It's it's great. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, thank you for tuning into another one of our uh, chats. On a very good movie, Dune Part One. We love talking about movies, and uh, you know the big takeaway for for us with this is we hope you watch more movies, mm. and then we hope you have these same kind of conversations with your your friends and your family. Yeah. And um, and then maybe we can give you a nugget or two of something interesting that maybe you didn't know before, or something we're completely wrong on and then you can call us out on the, the internet later so either way it's all it's all good yeah all right well enjoy thanks everybody <laughs>